0: Coming up on today's episode, we look back at a wild Jets win over the Hurricanes, including, good lord, that final five minutes, plus Hanala's season debut. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rowicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Well, uh, that's certainly one way to defend a three goal lead. <laughs> Pretty sleepy Monday night all of a sudden turned into an absolute disaster class it's funny, and thanks for tuning in once again to another episode of Skates and Plates. CJOB's Tyson Berwicki joining me. It's funny, Tice, because with roughly five forty-five to go in that third period, I thought, you know what, with this game in the bag, why don't I just start getting ahead of myself and writing some, uh, some, some notes for the episode, right? Like, just you know, we, we can kind of figure out what to talk about and everything like that. And um, as as Jets fans will know, uh, things did not go according to plan in that final five minutes, and everything that I wrote here is kind of—I I mean, it's it somewhat—it's somewhat needs to be thrown into the trash can. But I thought I would share it with you anyway, is just because I, I I think it's a a good um, maybe a reminder or uh, a splash of cold water as to what the reality of sports is. But my. My initial description of this game for the Winnipeg Jets with just over five minutes to go, everything looking great, is that it's night and day. The Winnipeg Jets compared to the Hurricanes last season when they played in Winnipeg compared to this season when they played in Winnipeg. Because at that point, the Hurricanes had 25 shots on goal, which would have been a period of work against the Winnipeg Jets the season prior to that. So hey, you know, twenty minutes, sixty minutes. The Jets found a way to limit the chances against. Everything's good, and and they looked so much better. And then the collapse happens there in the third period. So it's kind of hard to figure out, you know, what the what the outcome, like what the direction, what the narrative is out of that game against Carolina. But maybe it's just this that you, you can't really put a narrative onto every single game that happens, Tice. It, it'd be nice. And it'd be nice and easy, but. Things, things sometimes don't go according to plan and they get a little more complicated than that. And a good 55 minutes can be wiped out in a poor five minutes. And that almost happened to the Jets. But then the Josh Norrisy campaign continued once again in overtime there. And we'll, uh, we'll certainly touch on the blue liner in just a sec. But before we get into it, you know, in, in more detail, like, what do you, what do you make of <laughs> what we saw there? Where it was over, then it's not over, then it was over again. Well, I definitely think Rick Bonus was extremely pleased with his team's play through 55 minutes, and then extremely, extremely displeased with the team's last five minutes. I mean, like you said, that game was everything was going in the Jets' way. I mean, it, they seemed like they were converting on all their chances that they were getting, and then all of a sudden, it just like a like an epipen right into the hip. You just shoot right up after, it and you're like, "Holy smokes!" <laughs> we got ourselves a hockey game all of a sudden. Yeah, there's like some breakdowns in front on the on those Hurricanes goals. I mean, you would like at least one of the D-men to tie up someone in front. I mean, normally you would, yeah. <laughs> yeah you don't. There's there's three guys waving at the puck. I mean, I I'm, I don't blame Riddich on any of the goals in my opinion, I think. I mean, yeah, would you like him to kind of get in front of one of them? Probably, but at the same time, I mean, it's pretty hard when you barely seen the puck as is and there's guys waving their sticks at it. I mean, can't, it's hard to blame him, but yeah, Bones is definitely gonna talk about the team. And I think they're gonna be working on maybe some uh, extra extra defender defending or extra attacker defending in the next practice coming up. Yeah, I think that's that's pain minus one hundred five. Yeah. If, if you wanted to sprinkle that on, on on DraftKings, I I can't imagine that they do anything else to start off next week's practice or you know tomorrow's practice other than working on that specifically. There, I mean, it's almost like two different games you break down. Like it's the first. of the game where you know everything went according to plan for the Jets and then there is what happened in that collapse with five minutes to go there I mean let's focus on the positive I guess first Tyson that's you know quite frankly this that they welcomed in one of the premier clubs in the NHL one of the best teams not only in the east but in the in the entire league and I wouldn't say the Jets dominated Carolina, but I I think it's fair to say that they corralled them and, you know, controlled the, at least controlled the lion's share of chances in that game. It was kind of a weird one where Carolina got the majority of the shot attempts through, but the Jets won the expected goals battle and the Jets also won by a large margin, the high danger chances battle. So when you play a team like Carolina, you, you kind of go into it knowing you're probably going to give up more shots than you throw back the other way. But the Jets controlled the slot area against one of the best teams in the league for 99% of the game. I think that's a a major, major positive to take away from this one and that you know, compared to the nightmare that happened last season in Winnipeg. The Jets, I, I think, acquitted themselves quite well even with the injury problems they're going through right now. And they were they were opportunistic, but it wasn't fluky either. I think that's the thing, right? Like they they didn't get a ton of chances necessarily, but when they got them, they weren't, you know, fluky, lucky bounce goals. They made some nice plays. They forced Carolina into some uncharacteristic mistakes, and then they crushed them. They took advantage of them. And I, I, I think that was about as good as you could have hoped the Jets realistically to show up against the Hurricanes. Yeah, no, it's for sure. And like you said, they kind of controlled, you neutralize the Hurricanes throughout most of the game. And there's, there's parts throughout this season where the Jets kind of let the other teams control the play. And especially when they've got playmakers like Marty Nietzsche and andrey Sveshnikov guys who can create their own offense on themselves and really get to the high danger scoring opportunities. Besides the last five minutes, the Jets kind of controlled all the, all the hurricane star players there and, there's not too many teams in the league that have been able to do that through extended periods of time throughout throughout this season. And I think that, I mean, like you said, it's two two different games to go through. I think that for the most part, if you play the way the Jets played through those 55 minutes, you're going to win a lot and a lot of hockey games. Just so happened that the last five minutes of this one, the puck, the I mean, there there are a couple of games where those shots go off sticks and then they don't go in the net. They go wide. Things kind of broke the wrongly for the jets but yeah capitalizing on your scoring chances and i think that's what bonus would be most happy with the jets in this game is that you they let the offense come to them they didn't try to force things offensively they weren't getting caught up ice they were kind of letting the chances come to them and then once they got those chances they capitalized them every chance they got yeah four odd man rushes four goals three (laughs) breakaways and and, you know normally in, in the nhl when you get a breakaway there's there's some kind of breakdown from from the opposing team as to how that happened there but you know the first two goals specifically great defensive plays by the Jets inside their own zone and they're able to spring ones quickly and go back the other way and hurt Carolina the first one a a really subtly nifty great play by Cole Perfetti to start that whole sequence there where you know if I'll tell you what if I had the puck on my stick that's a chip out of the zone and away we go but uh, I, I love seeing really, really intelligent hockey minds where, you know, 99% of NHLers there, puck out of the zone, let's chase it, and maybe we can get a chance going the other way. But just that little bit of patience allows him to pass it back to Wheeler and a great uh, setup by him to get Dubois for the opening goal of the game. And then, I mean, David Gustafson is just doing Gus bust things, you know, just being so, so damn good defensively. And to do that against a guy like Svechnikov, Right, like to you know pick his pocket really well, get the puck going back the other way. My highlight of the night, Mikey Aseman, my boy, gets his first NHL goal there. But two really, really strong defensive plays by the Jets to set up those breakaways. And then you have the fourth goal, the ultimate game winner by Josh Morrissey. There again, defensive play thwarted a chance off the rush. And then Pierre Luc Dubois makes the best breakout pass for many Jets blue lighter on the night there. The set of Morrissey who ends up the game or who ends up scoring the game winner on that play. So I I I think that is certainly the blueprint on how the Jets can maybe survive here and 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 try to take down teams higher than them in the standings, especially with the injuries they have up front. I I think fifty five minutes there there were no complaints. Again, I think with the Jets boring hockey games, like you touched on, Tice, that's okay. <laughs> like play, play. Don't don't try to go run and gun. That's where this team gets into a lot of trouble, even with the goaltending they've gotten this year, right? But play a little more boring hockey, control the slot area, and things are generally going to be all right. So I think, I I think for the most part, you know, when we're talking about the the actual normal part of the game, things went well for the Jets. Yeah, and oh, uh, sorry. I was just going to say, and to score four goals on the night and. Shifley and Kyle Connor and Sam Gagne didn't get points on any of them. It's nice to see the the rest of the forward group kind of pull through. And especially that was a great game by the Dubois-Wheeler-Perfetti line. I think they really, I mean, just played a nice sound game. And then, of course, like we said before, capitalized on their chances. Yeah, if you keep Sam Gagne off the score sheet, (laughs) you'd think you'd win. But not tonight against Winnipeg. Not tonight. (laughs) Now, let's talk about the final five minutes. Because... Holy f! That <laughs> that can happen. Like it's and it's funny too because, and I always make this point. You know when uh, when games go into a shootout, how how the narrative surrounding the game changes by kind of a coin flip. You know what I mean? Like if yeah. if that game went into a shootout, for example, and the Jets lose it, but like you know nothing really mattered from what right. happens there. Everyone's negative. How could you do this? How could you do that? But they find a way to win. And all, hey, you know, we can laugh about it. Everything's okay. It's not a big deal. Um, you know, I, I do agree with you in the sense that I I think there was an element of luck in Carolina's comeback there. I mean, look, if you're going to give up three goals in five minutes, at least have them be point shots and deflection. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like the yeah. Jets gave up. You know, one timer after one timer in the slot, and you know it's just chaos, and everyone's all over the place. You know, it was it wasn't breakdowns like that necessarily, which I you know I I, I guess that's the positive you take out of giving up three empty net goals in the final five minutes there. But at, at the very least, it's it's fixable. I think. Like I, I there were issues defensively last year with this team, where you are like they they can't fix this. Like they're just they're going to suck, and they're they're going to give up a ton of goals. With with three of those there in the final minute, it's you know get tighter to your points. It's tie a guy up in front instead of watching the puck. Right, like th- those those things are, are are fixable, but it's just crazy. Like it's it's hard to wrap your mind around that happening three consecutive times from a team there in the final three minutes. I guess maybe the the one thing that stood out to me the most is, would sure love to have a guy like Brent Burns when you're down a goal or two in the final five minutes, right? Because he does. What he does better than anybody in the entire NHL, which is a puck gets anywhere near him along the blue line there, and it's you know rapid fire, ninety miles an hour, you know perfect ankle height. That's just begging for a deflection to come in the other way. It's difficult to defend those sometimes. But what 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 stood out to you in that final five minutes on those three goals there? Like any any crippling errors by the Jets, or maybe a little bit unfortunate, or, or what happened? Well, it's a little bit of both. There's definitely some unfortunate elements. I mean, how many? If if you give up that Marty Nichas shot to tie the game, how many times out of ten does that go in? Probably one or two. Right. It's yeah. Just, it's that that one's probably the one that I feel is the most lucky because it just goes through a ton of bodies and it just finds the perfect spot that David just happens to not be covering. But at the same time, there's also a, there's also just not con- it's concerning that it happened, but it's like you said, very fixable, and it's more so just. Kind of following the play, like on that Brent Burns, when the, on the shot from Brent Burns, I forget who ended up tipping it in, but I, it, that's just such a quick play that that happens from the board back to the point. And I think there it's almost kind of you're tracking the puck and then all of a sudden the puck's coming towards you and you're looking last second to try and tie a guy up. And at that point, it's already too late. I mean, sticks are already flying. So I think it's just more so kind of just staying involved, not like it's it happens so fast. I mean, these are NHL players, but. Just making sure that you got your assignment in front, if you're covering the front of the net, that you have your guy tied up. I mean, there's the extra guy out there, but you can't have three guys waving their sticks at a puck from a point shot when you're up two goals, three goals, one goal in the last five minutes of a game. So, yeah, there are some changes that can be made, but at the the same time, a little bit of luck. But, you know, it's a learning curve. Like, that's the thing. You win the game, at least you can look back on and be like, okay, these are things that, we need to fix so that something like this doesn't happen again. <laughs> it's still kind of crazy the more I think about it. Like, they actually gave up three empty net goals in five minutes. And, and you find a way. Like, it's, it was just such a bonkers ending there. And I, I told you this before we started. I was kind of surprised the Jets got it to OT. Like, I was like, they they got to find a way to just dump the puck out. Let's just get to three on three and, and see what happens there. You know, I would – look – like I said, the wingers certainly could have got to the points a little bit quicker. The defenseman in front of the net specifically could have done a better job tying up, you know, the, the three Canes forwards that ultimately screened and, and deflected those pucks in. So, so like, player-wise, there were certainly some things that could be corrected. If I'm to lay blame at anyone, though, and this is probably the first time I would say that this season, I think Rick Bonus had a bit of a... Uh, a a bit of a brain fart in that final five minutes there specifically in in what happens, you know, from, I mean, the first goal goes in, whatever it happens, you know, you, you still got a two goal lead, plenty of time to regroup and go at it there, but man, did he ever shorten that bench late? Right. You didn't see Adam Lowry kind of shifted in for Cole Perfetti on that second line with Dubois and Wheeler. That line actually got scored on, you know, two of the, the first two goals of the three for Carolina there. But, you know, whatever, that makes sense to a degree in, in putting Lowry out there with those two, getting the rookie on the bench. But, I mean, I, <laughs> we all watched David Gustafson as a defensive force throughout that game against Carolina. You, you don't want him out there at that point. Right? right. Like yeah. you're just continually throwing Shifley's line, Dubois line, double shift, double shift, double shift, double shift. And Carolina's coming wave after wave there. They, they could have used a breather. I think David Gustafson should have got a shift or two in there. I would have been okay with, you know, having some of the bottom six get in there as well. You know, I don't know why Janssen Fjallby has to sit on the bench or a big dude like men in as well. Right. Like you can, you can put some of the guys in the bottom six out there to defend the lead specifically, and you feel pretty good about what they can do inside your own zone. I think that was a mistake by bonus. I think not calling it a timeout after goal number two yeah. was a mistake there, where you just rally the troops, get a breather in, and okay, let's attack this final minute or so. And then I think the final kind of nail on the coffin there was the decision on throwing Shifley's line out there to defend the lead down by one goal there. Specifically, normally I would get on you know Mark Shifley being out there, but think we could all agree his play this year I, I don't really have a problem with shifley being out there in the final couple of minutes but as great as he is offensively kyle connor has no business being out there in the final two minutes of a game where you're trying to defend a one goal lead no no business and he's late to get to the point there might be the worst defensive forward in all of hockey like he just you can't i'm sorry you can't defend having kyle connor out there late to tie a game and and I would say the same with, with Sam Gagne as well. I don't know why Sam Gagne is out there instead of a Janssen Fialbi, instead of a Menelinan, or even a Gus, right? Like that, that that's just just poor choices of guys out there on the ice late in the game there. So I, I think Rick Bonus had maybe for the first time this season with the Jets when he's done everything right so far. He's pushed all the right buttons. I think he had a bit of a bit of a gong show about five minutes himself there. But thankfully, number 44 bailed everybody out on that one yeah and like you said it's it's five minutes too it isn't like they're killing the last minute 30 the last two minutes of a game like they still have you know that's probably six or seven shifts right there and you're split you're having the shifley line playing four shifts in the last five minutes i mean you're just asking for disaster there and it, it ended badly for them today yep yeah. yeah. yep it was a disaster thankfully if you can get two points out of a disaster then you're not feeling too bad about yourself at the very least. So things worked out for the Jets. Most um, I mean, most credit given to the guy that we'll touch on in just a sec here, number 44. But also on the back end, number 14 made his season debut for the club. And obviously Jets fans were interested to see what Villy Hainala could do in his first game for the Jets this year. We'll touch on that as well as a few other quick notes around the rest of the league in the sporting world, but before we do that, let's give a quick shout out to our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Do you want to light the lamp this cold winter? Why don't you do so by betting five bucks pregame money line on any NHL team to win their game and get 150 and free bets if you do? Plus, you could turn small bets into big payouts. With same-game parlays, combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and even more for your shot at an even bigger payout. Tyson, who do the Flyers play next? Do you know what their schedule is? Who's next on tap? Well, they just lost their seventh in a row to Calgary tonight, so I, I'm not, i I'm not looking forward to the next game, so I actually have no idea who they're playing. Well, I, it, looks like, it looks like they're playing Washington on Wednesday night. So, like we mentioned, if you guys want to make an easy 150 bucks, Capitals pregame money line, take out the sledgehammer and hammer that bed home, and DraftKings will get you guys some money. I mean, if you're up north, some money uh, into the Christmas season. If you're down south, some money ahead of uh, American Thanksgiving as well. So, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for more details. So the Norrissey campaign continues, Tyson. (laughs) Another game, ho-hum, another multi-point effort. For number 44, and a couple of beauties. I mean, how many defensemen nowadays find themselves with a couple of breakaways and odd man rush chances? But Josh Morrissey just continues the ultimate heater to start the season. Uh, I mean, went into the night seventh league wide in defensive score. And I'll try to pull this up quickly here to see where he's uh, climbed the rankings just behind Carlson and McCarr, maybe right now. But I mean, we're, we we kind of joke about the Norrisy stuff. We'll, we'll we'll reach in on that maybe halfway through the season and and see where things are there. But can we cement the first All Star appearance for Josh Moore? Like it's not Norrisy, but is it All Starry? <laughs> is,
1: is
0: that where we can at least maybe make it official at this point of the year with his start to the year? I think it's pretty hard not to. I mean, he's added he's added that scoring element to his game now too. That really brings him into that upper echelon of NHL defenseman. I mean, even especially on that power play goal, or sorry, the overtime goal, just how that read that he makes where he just catches all the Hurricanes to guys on the ice sleeping. He just kind of, kind of, I mean, he he shot out of a cannon, but he realized that after that puck went off, there was two Hurricanes that were darting to the bench. Well, not necessarily darting, but going to the bench. And he sees that they're they're a little slow getting to the bench and absolutely takes off. PLD finds him with a nice tape-to-tape pass and, Kochekov comes flying 45 feet out of the net and leaves that whole upper half of the yeah. net open for, for Morrissey to get a second. But yeah, he's just, it's just awesome to see him, especially with the expanded leadership role that he's been given this year. It's super nice to see his, his play reach another level. So he's now tied for seventh. No, nope, tied for sixth. No, nope, tied for fifth. Tied for fifth in league-wide scoring for defensemen. And this is an odd list. <laughs> I'm not I'm not making this up either. So at the top you have Carlson Fox, Dalen Makar. That makes a lot of sense. Uh with 18 points on the year, Josh Morrissey, Mikhail Sergachev, Brandon Montour, and Hampus Lindholm. <laughs> wow. Ha- the- Hampus I- and people were saying that Hampus Lindholm was a bad acquisition at the at the start of the deadline last year and thinking that maybe his play was starting to take a dip and he's kind of closed the tour on that talk yeah yeah they got a hold of that take (laughs) yeah that i mean hey apparently anything not mitchell miller related that boston touches is absolute gold uh (laughs) maybe maybe any pro decent he would be uh that that boston bruins touches into gold there a weird group of people but i mean out of those guys there to me josh morrissey seems the most sustainable to kind of stay with the pack there and i have said this a few times before but it's it's pretty wild to me that just just to see the leap almost midway through his career in terms of the skating and skill level of josh morrissey just took this monumental jump it's we just don't see that very often right like we'll we'll see guys you know come into the league and the talents there but it takes them a few years to kind of figure in Work all the kinks out and stuff like that. But very rarely do you see a good player maybe leaning a bit more towards the defensive side of things, just kind of have it all click and and turn into this offensive force and an offensive dynamo on the back end for the Winnipeg Jets. And yeah, I I don't know how at this point, you know, assuming it's still that divisional format that the NHL goes through with the all-star games that. You have Kale McCarr as an absolute no-brainer. You have Josh Morrissey as one of the other ones there. And I and Roman Yossi is probably the third one of those. I don't know if anybody else is even really close to those. And, and, and Heiskanen, I guess. That would be your four shoe-ins for defensemen on the central division all-star team. I, I think Josh Morrissey's certainly, you know, not at the Kale McCarr level, but he's played as good as those other big, 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 big names. In terms of defensemen inside their own division this year, just an absolutely marvelous start for forty-four. Right, and he's making the big plays when there's big plays that need to be made too for this Jets team. And like, yeah, like like I said before, it's really nice to see him take on that expanded leadership role and really kind of push himself forward as one of these guys who's going to be the guy for the Jets going forward. And this doesn't matter. It kind of matters. He's just a super nice guy. Yeah, like he's just right. Like it's it's always nice when when you have guys that are just fun to cheer for. It's just a really nice. Right. And, and, and he's a man, but and and he has had some some personal strut like with his family the, the past couple yeah. of years. So maybe, you know, that's just that, that, that these guys are humans, too. And that could have been playing a factor in his play. It could have been heavy on his mind. So, I mean, it's nice to see that. Nice to see him kind of go back to the player that we're used to seeing in Josh Morrissey. Now, not quite to the level of Josh Morrissey, but Vili Hainala, the early pregame storyline for this one, I would say, getting his first game action for the Jets this year and doing so on his offside and doing so beside Dylan Sandberg, something that I kind of thought the Jets should maybe take a little bit more of a look at there. I I guess, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the right word for Vili Hainala's debut because it, you know... I can't say steady necessarily. I thought he had a bit of a rocky start, but, you know, I I think he was fine. I think fine might be the best way to, to describe it. What was that? So if it, like he's kind of he played a vanilla game this. Yeah, like nothing nothing to be overly concerned about, but nothing that gets you excited and he's, you know, going to be the Josh Morrissey 2.0, like nothing like that, right? Like I think, I think it was an acceptable game for a young guy – Making a season debut against a really good team. Right. Like right. it's it's a tough, it's a tough ask for him to come into that one. But at the same time, welcome to the NHL kid, right? Like it's it's never gonna be it's never gonna be the easiest situation, and he's got to adapt to it. If he wants to be a big-time player for the team, he's gonna have to play against difficult teams and be thrown into tough situations like that. I, I guess maybe the most positive thing for me is that he clearly had a rocky start. Uh, looked a little bit overwhelmed by the speed and the pace of the hurricanes just wasn't steady with his reads making some miscues inside his own zone but what was positive for me is and we've seen this time and time again with him which is a great sign is that he's able to bounce back from that and he steadied himself as the game went on I think he got better and better you know as as uh, more minutes got under his legs there so it wasn't wasn't a a light the world on fire performance from but. For me, for sure, would love to see him get another game here as as the Jets continue their action for the rest of this week here. I don't think he did anything to take himself out of the lineup, but you know, wasn't uh, wasn't he wasn't the headline grabber in this one? That's for sure, right? Right. And he, I mean, he only played just under twelve minutes of ice time in this one for a guy getting his first game of the season for the Jets this year. I think, you know, you're already grip he's probably gripping his stick a little too tight in the first period, I think. And you're just kind of hoping like, oh, I really don't want to mess up. I don't want to give Bones any excuse to not play me or to send me back to the press box. And I think, you know, that could kind of, for a guy that's kind of been in and out of the lineup a-, a lot this year, and that might not have the total vote of confidence from the coaching staff quite yet with a new coaching staff, I think, you know, you grip your stick a little harder, but as the game went on, yeah, he definitely he definitely started to settle in and started making some nice passes. And especially even after that one giveaway, I think that just to see his compete level two, getting back, trying to for trying to create some disruption there too, it's nice to see. And I mean, the way that the power play has been rolling, I wouldn't mind seeing Billy get a shot on the power play too. I mean, that's part of the reason why he's why you drafted him was because of his skill set. I think it's it's time that you give him a chance on the power play and see if maybe he can give that. So that second unit an extra boost and start getting some goals going there. A hundred percent. There's, there's really no reason not to put him on the second unit at yeah. this right. Like they 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 haven't gotten anything done almost all season long, and and this is his bread and butter. Yeah. He, he's not he's not killing penalties, so you don't have to worry about you know <laughs> throwing too much on his plate when he's out there with the Jets right now. Put him on that second unit. Let him run it think you'll be pleasantly surprised at how smooth and how efficient he operates that unit alongside Cole Perfetti. And you know what? Maybe you find a little something there and he, he gives this team more value, right? You're, you're trying to get value out of Billy Hanel, And that's maybe his best attribute right now is his ability to do work on that power play. So I certainly think he deserves to get a shot of that in this next game upcoming on Wednesday and man, Oh man, I, I you kind of touched on as a youngster, Trying to find your way and then maybe trying to impress, but play it safe, all that stuff. Wanted to get into more and more games here. To to me, this next stretch of hockey is the perfect opportunity for Rick Bonus to maybe show some belief and a young guy here and give him a bit of a long leash. You know, show him that it's going to be tough, but we're going to give you a chance here and and see how he's able to adapt and see if he can come through this on the other side because an always tough game right around thanksgiving wednesday night in minnesota against the wild and that one's followed up with a road matchup in dallas on friday night there so two of the better teams in the division i would love to see hanele get a couple of cracks at this maybe throw a little more on his plate as each game comes along here and see if we see any improvements and you start to get i think a more clear sense of what kind of an attribute he's going to be for the team this upcoming season but all in all i think you know it a decent opening game for, for Billy Hanela and the Winnipeg Jets. One other note I want to mention from that game, like I touched on earlier, Mikey ace him on time, baby. So jacked to see the kid get his first NHL goal. It didn't even register on the radar gun, but that's okay. Cause it's still found in the back of the net. So always, I that's always, that might be my favorite thing in hockey is like the first NHL goal. That just like it, I always get so jacked up for that. So great for Mikey Asamon to get that one done. He's been good at his call-up. And um again, David Gustafson, another just solid, steady defensive game from him, and certainly worthy of getting on the score sheet with that assist on Asamon's goal. And you know, I think as this season goes along, we're gonna see David Gustafson slowly earn more and more ice time, you know, hopefully with some reinforcements coming in. But he's been everything the Jets could have hoped for. To start this year for the hockey club, no doubt about that. Now, just a few things I want to get to before we close out the episode here, Tyson. Uh, and actually, well, well, let's start with uh, with yours here uh, because you had something. There's there's kind of been something percolating around the NHL these past few days, and it's something something that's grinding your gears here. Am I right? Yeah. This re- I don't know why, but this really really bothers me, and it's because it's how. And just so NHL news and notes here, everybody. Right, but, yeah. Uh, go ahead, Tyson. Right. And just kind of the devolvement of the value of a jersey retirement. Just the past in these past couple of days, Marion Hossa got his jersey retired. And I mean, Marion Hossa was a is an absolute great player. I mean, obviously, he's in the Hall of Fame already, one of the best two way players of his era. But does he deserve to get his jersey retired by the Blackhawks? I mean, how many seasons did he play? Six with the team? I'll pull I, it up here. I just, you know, like retiring a guy like Host's number when he really hasn't played for your team for that long. When there's guys like Steve Larmer who don't have their jersey retired, Chris Chelios doesn't have his jersey retired. I, I, I don't know. I just think that it's kind of I. If you want to put those guys in your hall in your team's Hall of Fame, by all means, go ahead. You're honoring the best players that played for your team. I think a jersey retirement should be for the elite of the elite of your franchise's history guys who when people bring up the team name they're one of the first I'd say six or seven guys you think of when you think of that team and just the fact that we're getting guys like Chris Neal getting his jersey retired I mean yeah he played a thousand games with the franchise but that's going to be the benchmark now we're going to get anyone who plays a thousand a thousand games with the franchise just gets their jersey retired. I mean, how many points does Chris Neil have in his career? Like 250? I I just I am sorry, I just I just don't get that at all. I I I feel bad, like <laughs> kind of clowning on Chris Neal because he seems like a good guy and he was super emotional. Like they, yeah, they like the sense a good thing. Like I, I feel bad, but like it is kind of a joke. I'm sorry, like you know. You could have a great career. I, I have no problem if the Sens want to say I, I'm with you there. If the Sens were like, went up and said, Chris Neal, you're going to be a part of the Senators Hall of Fame, or yeah. we're going to honor your jersey, like a Ring of Honor, whatever it is, right? But like, it it should be like once in a generation sort of events that a jersey number is retired by a team. Yeah. Um. So I. I mean, may, maybe Ottawa's, maybe Senators fans think differently about this. Well, I think everyone's kind of in agreement that Chris Neal is a any, a, I guess, an, an anomalous case. The, right? worst, the worst player to get his jersey retired. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's one way. That's a slightly less delicate way to put it, Tyson. <laughs> but I can, I can get down with that. Hose is interesting because he is like a legendary player but he only played only played eight seasons with Chicago Uh, only 530 games though only 415 points obviously a major part of their three Stanley Cups in five or six years no no question about that but I, I kind of wonder a little bit if Chicago's like, you know what, maybe we need some positive uh, PR right now and retiring a fan phase number can help us out in that department. I wonder if maybe they're going down that route a little bit or the fact that nobody else is ever going to wear 81 again regardless because <laughs> it's a weird number so they can get away with it. But I I would probably agree to that. I don't think it it seems like a... It, just, it, it seems like it's too easy right yeah like Kane and Taves that makes all the sense in the world like those are two totally. those are two franchise legends right where your whole career you know right like double the, the amount of time hosts has spend with the team and at the same time you put up points and cat all, all that stuff like that that to me is kind of the no-brainer in all this but it probably should be reserved for like the legends like the legends legends totally. like hosts is a legend Like a Blackhawks legend, but Taves and Kane are legend legends. Like I think that's the difference to get a jersey retired. So let me throw this at you quickly here before we switch gears. Would you retire Blake Wheeler's jersey for the Winnipeg Jets? Hmm, that's a tough one. I I don't think it's a tough one. I I I don't think I would. I don't think so. Uh, And it's not nothing against. Blake Wheeler and his time with the Jets but I just I I for me it's oh sorry for me it's very wow. called down <laughs> just a simple question <laughs> for me it's just yeah it's your franchise it's franchise icons it's guys that are synonymous with the team name you it's it's like just like for one example when you think Claude Giroux I he's a guy that should get his jersey retired by the Flyers cuz he was the Flyers for nu- numerous years. I don't get the same sense with Blake Wheeler. It's an interesting one though because he'll be about for sure 10 years, right? Captain for a handful of that. Uh, you know, you wonder if the decision to strip the C maybe takes away some of that luster, yeah. but to to me it depends on what happens with his next contract. I I would think that mark shifley has a much much greater chance of having that honor than than blake wheeler does if shifley signs another contract with the jets then you know i'd, I'd probably be okay with 55 being hung up at the rafters there at, at some point in the uh in the distant future there but i think for me blake wheeler it's more so uh welcome to the jets hall of fame pretty soon after you're done playing but you know 26 is going to go to a beauty maybe a big hulking big finish sniping winger, winger right winger. like someone like that i i yeah i i would tend to shy away from that but i'd be i'd be intrigued to hear what you guys think you know let us know at twitter on on twitter at brandon underscore wiki at skates plates pot or what's your handle uh tyson Rewicki, at tyson, at tyson. should wheeler get his jersey retired will it be Shifley? maybe connor hellebuck as well some options for sure on the Winnipeg Jets side of things, that's an interesting one. Yeah, jersey retirements is always a fun debate to ha- to be had because it's a little more, it, it, it's it's a little more different than like Hall of Fame debates, where you can look at the numbers and it's easy to make a case. Sometimes there's a little more in the heart when it comes to jersey retirements and things like that. Um, one guy that I don't think anybody will have to think too long and hard about this as to whether or not he'll get his jersey retired: um, Patrice Bergeron picked up his 1,000th point, all as a Boston Bruin. That's an absolute no-brainer that no one will ever wear 37 again in Boston, future Hall of Famer, all of that. But I just wanted to throw this at you because I thought of this for a while. I don't think I've ever really said it out loud before, though. And I I think it's 100% true. Is Patrice Bergeron the least hated athlete of all time? It's, At the very it's, least, the least hated current athlete. I th- yeah, it's. I mean, it's pretty close. I, like I, there, like because there is, there are people that hate just about every. Like everyone's a hater nowadays, right? Yeah. But like Crosby, I mean, you have an entire city that despises him. Let alone like the whining, some of the stuff he did earlier. He's not bad now, but yeah. early on, a lot of people disliked him. Um. I mean you can kind of go down the list of big athletes. You know Le- LeBron's great, but I can understand why some people might not uh oh, might yeah. not be massive fans of LeBron. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can kind of go down the list there. Even like a guy like Connor McDavid, some people are like oh, he's boring. Like I could see some people McDavid is maybe a little more on the purely likable list. Who in the world would hate Patrice Bergeron? yeah it's and especially after all this Mitchell Miller incident came out it showed you the kind of kind of leader that Patrice Bergeron is and, and the culture that he's really helped breed in Boston and the fact that he stands up there and goes well, we're, not, we're not playing with this guy this guy, this guy's not yeah. stepping foot in our locker room even if we do keep him he's never going to he's not stepping foot in our locker room and that just shows like kind of person that he is and and the kind of he, he really stands by what he thinks and he's not a guy that's going to kind of bend one way to help someone it's it's either there it's the Bruins way or you're out of here. And I think Patrice Bergeron's just been the just the perfect leader for that team, the perfect player, and he's just a great person on and off the ice. He's really good at hockey too. Yeah. He's <laughs> really like rename <laughs> the rename the selkie. Oh, yeah. then I mean that should happen too. It's his award officially. Yeah. Just, and it's crazy that he's all he's almost getting better, the closer he gets to forty two. Like he's just he's a freak. I, I I don't know anybody that could hate him or what the reason would be that you would dislike Patrice Bergeron. I think yeah. I think every almost every other athlete has something in there where they're like, oh, I could see why you might not like him, but I think I think Bergeron is a is kind of the ultimate beauty. I, I mean, yeah, I, I love him. He deals with brad Marchand at a day-to-day basis as well so maybe <laughs> throw throw him a bone there too but wanted to give some love to patrice bergeron there 1000 on the way to having his jersey retired by the boston bruins in uh maybe a year's time puck drop next year something like that um that pretty much wraps it up for the episode here i don't want to talk about the great cup i'm just going to get angry and i want to go to bed soon so we're not even going to discuss it we're not going to talk about. He who must not be named that kicks the ball for the bombers. Because again, I'm gonna get upset and it's gonna bother me, and I want good vibes before I go to bed here. So we're just we're not even gonna talk about it. Back to back cups, that's all that matters. But the World Cup is underway right now. How freaking jacked are you for Wednesday afternoon? Oh, I am I am so pumped. I can't, I can't wait. I haven't been this. I know it's actually. Uh, I do, if, and imagine, imagine if they pu- pull out at least a draw against Belgium. Yeah, well, so, uh, <laughs> I don't even. I don't even know what would happen. Maybe because I don't know what to do. Like I, I don't know where to go to watch this. Like, do we? Do we all go? Like, do we go to Portage in Maine, or do we like go to? <laughs> do we go somewhere on Corden? Now that England's think- not in it. Like I don't know what to do. <laughs> I think I'm gonna be on air when this is going down. So. So, tune into, tune into 680 CJOB 1 to 3 on the Jim Toast Show. And okay, to no, no plug. Jim Toast is not going to plug on this show. Absolutely not. Do not listen to the Jim Toast Show on Wednesday afternoon. Be, give me a call, though, because I'm going to be in fine form. Where, wherever I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to have fun watching that game. It's once in a lifetime opportunity. How you, what do you feel about Canada's chances? Against Belgium, against the rest of the group there? What do mm-hmm. you think? Do we shock the world? I think I think we can make it out of group stage. I I really do think that we can make it out of group stage. And I mean, Carozo is pretty good, but I think it's tight. It's really tight. They got their 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 past stars are getting a little bit older. I mean, yeah, they've got some younger talent coming through, but you know, I think just having Alfonso Davies and David on the team, I mean, man, it's 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 good to be a Canadian football fan now. Yeah, I got my Davies kit ready to go. Canada is going to be deadly on the counter. That's that's I think yeah. going to be it. and if they can somehow get up early against Belgium and or Croatia, they become even more dangerous because they can kind of unleash Davies and David and Buchanan and some of these other guys and and really hurt these teams that are a little old and creaky on the back end there. I I I think Kevin De Bruyne is going to give uh I think he's going to give Canada a harsh dose of reality in the opener. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm excited. I hope they get it done. They haven't faced. There is no De Bruyne and Concacaf. Let's put it that way. And they, I don't know if I don't know if Canada has an answer for that. So I'm pretty pretty worried there. A draw would be massive against Belgium. I just a draw. If they draw their first two games, Canada's going through. Yeah. So that's kind of the key here. Is if they can even if they grab a point, I think, out of their first two and don't get blown out, I think they got a pretty good chance at advancing. Yeah. So I'm hopeful it's just let's just get a goal in the first game. I just want to celebrate a goal, yeah. right? Like that's I the next World Cup's gonna be like the big one for Canada to make some major noise, but like let's just let's get a goal, let's get a win, let's have a good time, let's throw beers up in the air like they do out there in the in the UK and all that. So Either way, wherever you guys are, and if you want to hang out, just you know, again, hit me up on Twitter. I'm happy to go wherever. I I just want I want absolute mayhem wherever I go and soccer craziness and just wherever I can find that, let me know, and I'll be there on Wednesday afternoon. But um, yeah, super, super exciting times. Canada opens up the world cup against Belgium on Wednesday afternoon. Looking forward to that, and that's kind of where we'll leave this episode and and tease into what's coming up on tap for the next one. Because in our next episode to close out the week, we'll break down both Wednesday afternoon matches, maybe a a little bit on Canada-Belgium, but certainly a ton on another big test for the Winnipeg Jets as they continue there to hold their place atop the Central Division as they visit the Minnesota Wild and take on the Wild for the first time this season. We'll break all of that one down when we get back at it to close out the week. Until then, though, Thanks to CJOB's Tyson Rowicki for stopping by. And thank you for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates right here on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. We'll be back at it later in the week to close it out. Until then, stay safe, have fun, and get ready for a beauty matchup, Canada-Belgium, on Wednesday afternoon. Have a great time, everybody. Peace.